The book of Revelation is known for its massive amount of material uh, dealing with end times. Most people, when they look at the book of Revelation, skip over the first three chapters, read it very quickly to get on to the stuff that's dealing with uh, the end of the age. Uh, the first uh, three chapters deal with the seven churches of Asia Minor and um, are mainly known for the admonishment that they give to each one of these churches. Now, when I use that word admonishment, all that means is a word of caution, advice, or, or, or counsel. And uh, these words that Jesus shares with these seven churches is timeless. It applies to us today. And, and basically, Christ gave this admonishment to these churches because he loved them. And he wanted them to do well and to succeed. The sad thing to note here is that none of them exist anymore. I mean, you can go to Asia Minor and you can go on a tour of these places and what you see are ruins. And that's kind of a sad commentary. So what I pray for us as the Church of Jesus Christ today is that we listen to these words closely with an open heart and with an open mind. Um, For these first few weeks in the year 2022, we're looking at a a little series from the book of Revelation for five weeks dealing with the seven churches of uh, the book of Revelation. And we're looking at this topic matter of identity from kind of a corporate viewpoint, okay? From a church-wide viewpoint. Now, when we finish this, we're going to jump into the book of 1 John for, for quite a few weeks after that. Both books, Revelation and 1 John, are authored by the Apostle John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Both were originally directed to the churches in Asia Minor. Uh, Revelation deals with the corporate church from a, from a kind of overall identity. Uh, 1 John, guess what? It deals with us as followers and our identity in Jesus Christ, all right? And so for 2022, we're dealing with identity. I just want you to know what we're doing, okay? And why we're doing what we're doing. And hopefully that'll help you follow along with us. Um, today, we're going to look at two churches, Pergamum, and Thyatira. Now, we were going to originally look at Sardis today, and Pastor Aaron's going to do that next week when he's feeling better and he's back, all right? So we just flipped weeks. Are you all right with that? Can you be flexible this way? Because honestly, I have no choice. And so I, I, I just want you to know what we're doing here. Some of you who are still are going to go, hey, we went from the church of Ephesus right to, you know, Pergamum. What happened to Sardis? We'll get to it next week. Amen? And so uh, today we're going to look at Pergamum and uh, Thyatira. Now, in each case, these two churches that we're going to look at today, there is a revelation about who Jesus is and, and, and some knowledge and understanding uh, him better. Then there's a word of encouragement to us, and then there is a word of admonishment to us, and then what I'm going to do is give us a takeaway that I think is very helpful to apply it to our own lives. Um, I, I tell you what, I, I just, I'm a, I, I'm a parent, amen, and I do not fear the word admonishment. The word admonishment is a good parental word. There are times, folks, when you talk to your kids on a different level, when you talk to them, you've got to know this. You've got you to understand some things, and it's, it's a word of caution. It's a word of counsel. It's a word of advice. And why do you give your kids admonishment words? Because you love them, amen? And you want them to succeed in life. You don't want them to make mistakes. And so a large part of the tone of these, these messages to the various churches of Revelation are the tone of admonishment. But we should be fearful of that, and it shouldn't be viewed as negative. It's an act of love for Christ to be saying these things. And so a big thought from Pergamum and Thyatira is simply this. The church must not have undivided loyalty to Jesus. You're going to see that's kind of the overall big word that we're going to be looking at this morning is that the church must have undivided loyalty uh, to the Lord. Jesus Christ. James in this epistle said to us that a double-minded man, double-minded person is unstable in all that they do. 
Jesus said this, you cannot serve two masters. You're going to love the one and you're going to hate the other. Division like what was found in Pergamum and what was found in Thyatira, uh, Christ knew it could lead to eventual dissolution or, or dissolving of the church, I should say, and, and, and if left unchecked. And so what we have to understand today is we have to keep in mind the church has to have undivided loyalty to Jesus. So let's go to Pergamum first here. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 2 now, verses 12 through 17. Listen to these words. To the church in Pergamum, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him, that would be Jesus, who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. This is Revelation 2, verses 12 to 17. So, welcome to Grace Point this morning. Great to see you all. You can smile. That's cool. To those of you joining us online, welcome that you're joining us this way. I, I really think that what I'm going to share with you this morning is of utmost importance. And I just pray, have open hearts and open minds. Just listen to what God is speaking to you this morning. So to the church in Pergamum, Jesus is revealed this way. Jesus has a sharp, double-edged sword. Now, of all the language you could use to describe Jesus, why was this language chosen? Well, let me explain that to you. Jesus' followers are citizens of another kingdom. So in Pergamum, they had the rare, you know, allowment to, to administer capital punishment. Thus, Pergamum was symbolized by the sword. Okay? So they could execute uh, people. They had capital punishment in this city. Thus, Christians who lived there were familiar with this kind of situation, and they lived under a government that had almost unlimited power over them. But Christ comes in this revelation to the church in Pergamum, and he says, listen, I am the one that has a sword coming out of my mouth that's sharp and double-edged. And what he's saying is, you are citizens of a different kingdom, and I am the ruler of that kingdom. And as, as, as much as you think Pergamum has power over you, they don't. I ultimately have the power over everybody. Amen? In Revelation chapter 19, John saw heaven open up at the end of the age. And out of heaven came a white horse with a rider, who's, of course, Christ. And he comes with armies following him. And in verse 15, we're told uh, in John, or Revelation 19, excuse me, in verse 15, we're told that out of his mouth, out of the Lord's mouth, came a sharp sword with which he struck down the nations. And so this language of sword out of the mouth of Christ is, is indicative that he is the ruler over all kingdoms. Amen? That's what's being said here. I don't know about you guys, but a, a, a joke that kind of transpired in the Norby household for a long time, that would be Vicky and me, is that we didn't own a sharp knife. So my kids would come and 
Thanksgiving or whatever, and they would be cutting the turkey, and they, they'd say to me, Dad, it's like cutting the turkey with a butter knife. You need to get a good knife, right? Or they'd say some other snarky uh, remark. Boy, that was way more harsh than I meant it to be. Anyway, so here years ago, Vicky bought some cutlery, you know, Chicago cutlery. It's really sharp. Now it's dangerous. And, uh, and we're so proud that we have sharp knives in our house. Amen? You guys aren't as proud, are you? You could care less. So here's what I want to say to you. Pergamum, the government of Pergamum, as harsh and unlimited as they appeared, they were a butter knife. They were dull, and they really aren't that sharp. Christ comes along and says, listen, I am a sharp, double-edged sword. Amen? I'm the real ruler. That's what he's saying here. You've got to understand uh, the context uh, of what is being shared with us. Now, Pergamum, as a town, laid along this fertile valley of the Caicos River, and it had the official honor of being the provisional capital of the Roman Asian Empire. So they were kind of a big deal. Um, it therefore became the center of worship of many pagan gods. And noted in the Revelation verses that we just read, um, Satan had a throne there. Most likely, this is a reference to an immense altar built to Zeus there that was about a thousand feet over the plain there in this elevation. It was this huge kind of altar thing that you couldn't help but see when you went into the town. And, and, and most likely when um, John says Satan had a throne there, he's referring to this huge altar worship uh, 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 of Zeus. But it was also the center of emperor worship. Emperor worship uh, was just becoming stylish. So they were beginning to view the emperor as divine, and they were beginning to worship uh, Caesar. So Pergamum boasted of having a temple where Caesar was worshipped. So get this. This is going to sound familiar because it's reflective of our time, but we're reflective of its time. So get this. Pergamum is full of idolatry, worship of false gods. Are we full of that today? Are we? Man, I've expected some response. Do we have a lot of false worship happening in our culture right now? Yeah, we have, we're more spiritual than ever as people, but we just don't worship the true God. There's all kinds of spiritism out there. Are you aware of that, right? But it's not worship of the true God. Then there was a false worship of the government. This should be going to bell. Ding, 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 ding. Isn't that what's going on right now? False worship of the government? Come on. The government will take care of you. The government will give you money. Isn't that just worship and trust, misplaced trust? Sounds like Pergamum had the same challenges that we have, or we have the same challenges that they have. And the Lord begins with a word of encouragement to the Pergamum church, and it's this. The Pergamum church stood fast in their faith, even when Antipas died, was martyred, okay? So evidently, persecution had taken place against this church, and one of their faithful followers, Antipas, was martyred. And Jesus said, good for you, you stood fast, even when this brother in the Lord was martyred, you stayed loyal to me. Recently, I've been listening to the Bible, going through the Bible, and I went through the book of Job. And uh, if you want to go through the book of Job and get its real meaning sometime, do it in two days. And you'll have a different understanding of the book of Job. At any rate, uh, 
Job has all kinds of issues come into his life. He uh, loses his family. They all die. He, he loses all of his wealth. It's all destroyed. Then he loses his health. There's basically nothing left. He's a pitiful uh, shell of a person than he used to be. And his wife comes to him, and she's distraught also. And she says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Why don't you just give up and die? And he says something, I think, really profound uh, in response to this. He says, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And what he was saying, in the midst of everything I'm going through, I'm going to stay loyal to my God. I'm going to stay faithful to my God. And that's what Jesus is saying to the church in Pergamum. Good for you. You went through this harsh persecution. Even a brother in the Lord was martyred and you stayed loyal to me. Good for you. Amen? And he's, 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 he's encouraging them in their loyalty. But then he moves on to an admonishment. Now remember what an admonishment is. A caution. It's advice. It's counsel. It's what any good parent would give to their child at times. Amen? If you see your, I mean, how many of you had kids? You all have kids, basically, here, except for if you're a kid. Anyway, um, at times you sit down and you look that kid in the eyeballs and you say, I'm going to say something to you because it's just good for your soul. You just need to know some things, amen? Why do you do that? Because you love them, amen? You don't want their lives to be screwed up and messed up, amen? And so you're trying to cut off some things by these words of admonishment. And that's what Jesus Christ is doing here uh, to this church in Pergamum. And he says, you tolerate two things that are super harmful to you. The worship of Balaam is in your midst, and the worship of Nicolaitans is in your midst. You can't tolerate these things. Let me talk a little bit and expand on this worship of Balaam, first of all. This is a reference back to something that transpired in ancient Israel. There was a Moabite king named Balak, and he hired a prophet named Balaam. And he said to Balaam, I want you to curse these Israelites. They're coming in. They're too big. I want you to just curse them, okay? And Balaam is a prophet for hire, basically. And God does not allow this prophet to curse Israel. In fact, he ends up blessing him a couple of times, which drives Balak bad. He goes, I hired you to curse them, and then you're, you're blessing them? Seriously? And so then Balaam goes on and devises a plan. He says, I know a way that you can attack the Israelites. And here's what he says. He says, have the daughters of the Moabites... Seduce the Israelite men. Have them then lead them to worship of your God, Baal Peor. And you will destroy them from the inside out. So what King Balak couldn't do uh, directly by, you know, a pronouncement of curse, he accomplished through deception. And basically what John the Revelator is saying here in uh, Revelation chapter 2 is, you have that precise thing going on in your midst. You are being seduced and deceived in the spirit of Balaam. And um, it's interesting because if you look at the church of Ephesus, the very first church of Revelation, right? Um, They were commended because they did not succumb to this kind of deception. But the churches in Pergamum and Thyatira, they had this problem of succumbing to this deception. And, And so John says... You know, you're, 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 you're eating this food, sacrifice, all this kind of stuff. He's not saying you're just eating some food that's questionable. What he's saying here is you are actually practicing the pagan religion that you're supposed to be 
casting out from your midst. You're sitting down, you're, you're, you're eating these meals, you're, you're participating in the practice of these pagan religions, and you're participating in pro, uh, you know, temple prostitution. All this stuff is going on, and this is devastating. And, um, and so he says, you, you're tolerating that. Why? Why are you allowing that to go on in your midst? And then he says, and the same thing for the um, Nicolaitans. Same th- I'll talk about them a, a little bit later. So, listen, what Satan couldn't, atta- uh, couldn't accomplish directly with this church by direct persecution uh, of the church, you know, uh, the, the death of Antipas didn't accomplish it. He was accomplishing by deceiving them from within because Satan is the father of lies. Amen? He's the author of deception. So hear this. Hear this admonishment. The church of Pergamum was divided by deceptive teaching. That's what was dividing them. So what, what do we need to understand? We have to watch out for deception, amen? And we have to be one to repent of ideas and practices and misplaced trust. I've said this now for a couple years in the midst of this whole pandemic thing that seems to never have no end, amen? That this is a, a, a movement of God for his churches. One is, who do we trust? Do we trust the government or we trust Jesus Christ? Now, I, I think it's a grand opportunity for us a church, as a church to drill down to what really matters, and even in the midst of some trials, who then will we stay loyal to? Amen? And I hope it's, we have undivided loyalty uh, to Jesus Christ. In the case of the Pergamon church, they needed to address the false teaching of Balaam. They needed to address the false teaching uh, of the Nicolaitans. There was no way to make a truce between what was being taught there and the message of Jesus Christ. There's no way to do it. Now, deception's a tough topic. You know why? Because you usually don't know when you're being deceived. Amen? There are some basics to our faith, friends, that we can never, ever yield on. And so at the end of service today, we're going to say the Nicene Creed out loud together because it articulates so well the basic tenets of the Christian faith that we can never yield on. Amen? And so I'm going to leave that moment to the end of the service. Here's where this whole deception discussion gets dicey. Disputable matters. That's where all the argument happens. That's where all the finger pointing and I think a lot of the deception actually takes place. We talked for uh, quite a few weeks in our Roman series on disputable matters. I had a lot of feedback. And what I realized is, is that one of the big challenges for us is to decide what's a disputable matter and what is not a disputable matter. Therein lies the challenge. And for me, I, I look at Scripture and I say, clearly some of these things are disputable matters where others would say, no, that's a primary matter. It's essential, it's central. And so even when we're talking about what is disputable, what is primary, what happens? We argue. And that's the challenge of deception, is, is sometimes it's not just all that clear. And so I don't have an answer for you today on some of this stuff. But I want to say this. When it comes to disputable matters, who are you listening to? Where are you getting your information? Why do you think the way you think? And this brings us to the takeaway. 
so incredibly important. If you hear nothing else, hear just this point. Who are you listening to? Who has your ear? Who's influencing you? What are you allowing to speak into your life and why? When an idea is opposed to a clear teaching of the Bible, does the Bible win out? Is that your ultimate source of reference? Do the ways and the teachings of Jesus Christ, do they dominate your worldview? Are they the filter through which you see life? Jesus said those who continue to be deceived by the teachings of Balaam or teachings of the Nicolaitans, I'm going to come against you with the sword of my mouth. Eventually he says, I'm going to rule over you. Judgment's going to come your direction. The, the message to the Pergamon church ends with a really cool picture. I, I just got to take this and talk about this. Those who stand fast in Jesus Christ will eat, we're told, the hidden manna. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 6 of his gospel, or excuse me, John said in chapter 6 of his gospel that the Israelites ate manna in the um, wilderness, yet they died. But then Jesus goes on to say, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven, and anyone who eats of me will live forever. So, most likely this reference to hidden manna is a reference to Jesus being the living bread. It said, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and are finding their nourishment from him are, are partaking of the hidden manna. And they, they're going to have life forevermore. And then, I don't, if you lived in Pergamum at this time and you were invited to a banquet, the invitation would come to you on a stone. And you'd go to that party and you'd get your stone of invitation to them and they'd let you into the party. Jesus uses that here when he talks to us. He says, and you will get a white stone with an inscription on it that allows you into my party, into eternity with me. This is a really cool picture, amen? So he says all these great things to this church. He starts out by commending them that they've been loyal to him in the spite of some martyrdom and persecution. And so that, that's a big you know, way to go, uh, church. And then he gets to this admonishment, which really is saying, listen, you got to be undividedly loyal to me. You can't follow the, the teachings of Balaam. You can't follow the teachings of the uh, Nicolaitans. And, and then he ends by saying, if you hold fast to me, if you stay true to me, then you're going to eat of the hidden man. You're gonna, I'm going to be the living bread that nourishes you, amen? And then you're going to get my invitation to spend eternity with me. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Pretty cool picture. Well, now we need to move on to... Uh, Thyatira, all right? Uh, I talked about this before, but I'll, I'll share it once again. Some of you may remember this. Uh, I, I remember being in college and going to Way of the Cross, uh, a, a city, a uh, church that was about uh, 30 miles away. We went to the University of Minnesota at the time, Vicki and I, and then we'd head to church in, in Blaine, Minnesota. At any rate, Don was preaching that day. Don Fotenhauer was preaching that day, and he began to preach from, the, the, from Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. And I realized about... Oh, an hour into the service that he's going to preach in all seven churches of Revelation today. And Don's name was Fodenhauer, and he was affectionately called Don Fodenhauer and a half because his sermons were an hour and a half long. So I've told this before, but this is my reference point, Revelation, so I'm telling it again. I'm going to tell you something really good today. I'm only talking on two churches. Amen? 
Come on, someone amen that, amen? You can handle this. So now we're on to Thyatira, amen? And we're talking another church here. Um, and and, and um, I'm going to begin by reading Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Listen to this word uh, to the church in Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless you repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to our teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any, burden on you, any other burden on you, except to hold on to that which you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations." That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, so Jesus revealed to Thyatira, all right? Jesus' eyes are like blazing fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. Now, this is what this means. Jesus has penetrating discernment. He sees and knows. And he has strength, his bronze feet, he has strength for executing judgment. So much of the writing in Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3 is refuting false religions of that time. And this is the case here in Thyatira too. This is the first time and only time in the book of Revelation that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. And he did this very much on purpose because in Thyatira, Two deities were worshipped, Apollos and then the emperor. Now, at this point, I mentioned already, the emperor was becoming worshipped as a god. And they were called sons of the god Zeus. So Jesus, refuting this, says, I'm the son of God. These are not the son of God. I'm the son of God. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand why he uses that title. He's confronting false worship in Thyatira, all right? And then blazing eyes of uh, his eyes being um, blazing fire indicates that he does have this penetrating discernment. But you know what? Apollos was the sun god. And again, Jesus says, ha, 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 no. I'm the one that has blazing eyes of fire. And he's, again, he's confronting the false worship of Apollos here. And he's saying, I'm superior over all these false gods. And he does that throughout the book of Revelation, but especially here in chapters 1, 2, and 3 when it comes to these different various churches in Asia Minor. Now, Thyatira was not a great city. It was known for its guilds. It was a working city. So it had you know, bronze working guild, it has metal working guild, it has the, the cloth guild. Anybody remember Lydia of the New Testament? Lydia, the worker of purple cloth, she was from Thyatira. All right? So they were known for the guilds, and every guild had its own deity that they worshipped. And Jesus is is kind of addressing that as he goes uh, 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 through um, talking to this church here in Thyatira also, because when his feet are referred to as bronze, 
burnished bronze. He's, that's a poke, folks. That's a poke at the bronze guild and their false deity. He said, no, I'm the one that has strength to execute judgment. Your false god does not have that. So here's the encouragement. Now get this. this is a, there's a big word of encouragement here. The church in Thyatira demonstrated what? Love and faith and service and perseverance and progress. They had improved. That's a pretty good word, isn't it? Love, faith, service, perseverance, and progress. Jesus was pleased to see their growth. But he says, you have a big problem. And that was a woman named, or he names, Jezebel. And most likely, this is a reference back to Jezebel of the Old Testament, the wife of Ahab, king of, king of, uh, of, of Israel, King Ahab. And he led, he led the people along with Jezebel's wife to the false worship of Baal. And uh, Jezebel of the Old Testament persecuted the two prophets of God. And if you want to read about it, you can go to the kings and all that and read about it and see, see for yourself. But here in Revelation, he's comparing this prophet who calls herself a prophet to Jezebel in the Old Testament. He calls her that name. And basically, the, the accusation is, you're leading my people astray to false gods and false worship. And like Balaam, she was using deception and was leading people into sexual immorality and then all kinds of idolatry. And the Lord said, all of you who are doing this are going to come under my judgment. But here's, here's something that got me, probably for me personally, when I was looking at this message uh, over uh, and over here the last few days um, as I was preparing it and then, talk, uh, then practicing it, you know, and all that. Here's what got me is that Christ had dealt with her over a period of time, but she didn't respond. He'd given her a chance to repent, right? But yet she wouldn't. And what I, th- I realized is this. You know, sin's wrong. Amen. Would you say that sin's wrong with me? Amen? But here's what's really grievous to the Lord. It's when we won't repent of our sin. I don't know about you. I know I sin. Do you know you sin? I do some things wrong. I don't know how you are, but... I can be stubborn. Can any of you be stubborn? Prideful, maybe? And won't admit I'm wrong? God says, I resist the proud, I give grace to the humble. It's one thing to sin, it's one thing to stay in that state of sin. Because you won't repent, because you won't kneel yourself, you won't humble before God. Amen? And I just read this and thought, oh, Lord Jesus, Help us never to be that kind of people who are just stiff-necked and prideful and won't admit when we're wrong and won't uh, confess our sins to you. It, it just puts us in a peril, peril, a place of peril. At any rate, any, interestingly enough, the first church addressed in, in the book of Revelation, Ephesus, they were, they were, they were say, saying, you lack love. Return to your first love. Now we get to this church of Thyatira, and they had love. Amen. Jesus commended them for having love. What did they lack? They lacked discernment. They tolerated the intolerable. So this is the admonishment to this church. The church in Thyatira was divided by a lack of discernment. And we have to watch out for becoming tolerant of the intolerable as the people of God. I think a lot of you have heard this, but if you take a frog, put him in a pot of water, just room temperature, and then put that frog on a burner, you heat the water up gradually, the frog won't jump out. It'll die. It doesn't know the temperature's changing and it just kills them. 
And in a sense, that's the warning that we're getting here through the church of Thyatira. We can become desensitized to what's going on around us. We can become tolerable of the intolerable. And, and, and we can become insensitive to the destructive nature of accepting ideas that are so very, very contrary to the ways of God. And, you know, I think we can get tired. You get tired? I've been a Christ follower hardcore now for about, what was it? 51 years or something like that. I don't know, whatever. It's a long time. And I'm tired. Do you ever just get tired of feeling like I gotta always be on guard? I gotta always. Does anybody else feel like that or is it just me? And what happens is sometimes is pretty soon the unacceptable becomes, eh, it's not that big a deal. It's acceptable. And pretty soon something that's totally contrary to the ways of God becomes normalized and thought to be okay. Now, I'm not at all a legalist. If you get to know me, you know that. I am not a legalist. I don't think you can do right to be all right with God. You cannot. Amen? Our works are as filthy rags. Bible clearly says that. But I know this much. I know this much for sure. When I give my life to Jesus Christ, I become right with God through the work of Jesus Christ. Something changes in me, and I'm filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, and I'm right with God now because of Christ. And there happens to us who love Jesus this thing called the filling of the Holy Spirit, and pretty soon we want to do right because we are right. We don't do right to become right, but because we are right in Jesus Christ, we want to do right, amen? And we can never grow weary of well-doing, for in due season our Savior will reward us. And right now we are facing all kinds of issues on multiple fronts, amen? And it can be so easy just to say, these aren't that big a deal. But if they're contrary to God's ways, we got to watch out. We cannot accept the intolerable as tolerable. So here's the takeaway. I want to personalize this right now, all right? Forget about all the big troubles out there in the world. Can't solve them anyway, amen? Most of us can. So here's what I want to ask you. What intolerable activity in your life needs to be recognized and removed? What's going on that maybe you're going, oh, I really probably shouldn't be doing this. It's not good for my soul. It's not good for my walk with Christ. Sometimes I think we have this tendency to think about all the bad things that are going on in the world, but we don't realize that God begins his change with our heart, amen? And he begins with his church, amen, first. That's usually where significant change in the movement of God begins. And so I pray that we're a church of undivided loyalty to Jesus Christ and we're having this honest exchange and, and thing going on with our Lord, and we're addressing in our lives the things that need to be addressed in, in our lives. That's probably the best course of action that we can take right now as a church, is to have undivided loyalty to Jesus Christ. That's the best gift that we can give a, a culture that's exponentially leaving Christ. Amen? Just fast. Leaving Christ. In all likelihood, only a minority in Thyatira hadn't come under the influence of this prophet Jezebel. And to them, Jesus says, listen, I ask one thing of you, hold fast to me. I think that's what Jesus is saying to you and I today. What what is he saying? Hold fast to me. In spite of everything that's going on, you hold fast to me. I read in one commentary that uh, this, this particular author, this commentary thought that this particular group in Thyatira was probably the most committed followers of Christ at that time. They had discernment, and in the midst of everything that's going on, they're holding fast to Jesus Christ. 
There were some thought that this secret teaching, uh, the secret ways of Satan, um, was something along these lines. The Nicolaitans in, in this Jezebel the prophet, they were saying, you cannot understand the grace of God and the forgiveness you have in God unless you first sin. And so you have to learn the secret ways and deep ways of Satan and know the depravity and all that so that you can therefore receive these, these ways of Christ. It was nothing more than a, than a delusion of leading people astray. Amen? We do not need to become masters of wickedness to understand the goodness we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? But that's what most likely was uh, the secrets of Satan that was being promoted in their midst. And all I want to say about the promises at the end of the message of Thyatira is that we see that authentic faith is equated to steadfastness in Christ. Are you staying in Christ no matter what's going on? That's what Jesus says. Hold on to me no matter what. That's, that's authentic faith. Such ones will reign with Christ in Christ it becomes their morning star. Amen? So I'm going to stop there. We're going to read the Nicene Creed out loud together. So would you stand with me, please? And we're going to read this as a declaration of our core belief system today. These are the things we can never give up one iota on. Amen? These are the basic tenets of our faith. These are the things that when it comes to, you know, not being deceived, we cannot be deceived in this regard in any manner or form. Amen? So here we go. We're going to read this out loud together. Read it with me, please. If you're at home... I would encourage you to read it out loud there. Maybe stand with us also and read it so that you're participating in what we're doing here. Here we go. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeded from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets, and one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and life of the world to come. Amen.